I'm Loree Williamson, CEO of Agriculture for Life. In this edition of Nourishing Minds, we dig deeper into the topic of food insecurity and what that means for many Canadians. Tanya, thanks for, for taking the time. I, I know it, it is a very busy time um, for everyone, but uh, food banks, you've, uh, you've had a lot of recent announcements and you're um, working working hard uh, during COVID as we hopefully come to the end of very, uh, very struggling times, but we, we shall see. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the history of Food Banks Canada? Absolutely. So let's just start with the history of food banks in Canada. Okay. So the very first food bank in Canada is Edmonton's Food Bank. Oh. And which is, I know, amazing, right? It's you Albertans. You're so ahead of your time. You really are. So <laughs> uh, you are in a lot of ways. But what was really incredible is that the Edmonton Food Bank, being the first food bank in the country, actually, this is their 40th year this year. Oh, interesting. And so in the 80s, that's when really food banking started to kind of pick up. Uh, I mean, it had been in America and it had grown a fair bit. That's actually when it penetrated into Canada and the Edmonton's food bank started. And from there, um, over the course of like the 80s and early 90s, we really started to see kind of growth of, and I would just say awareness of food insecurity as a really critical issue and that there could be more formal responses to be able to address it. So I think, you know, if you think about it, there were probably always versions of missions and meal programs, but they weren't really maybe classified as being part of like a movement of organizations and community groups that were trying to address an issue. The Edmonton's Food Bank really was the first one that said, no, we have a mandate to address this in our communities and we're gonna formalize kind of process and structures to ensure that we're addressing food insecurity in our community. And from there kind of grew and grew and grew. Um, and about, um, 10, about 10 years after um, the community food banking movement started in the country, they came, many of the, the food banks came together and said, you know, we're really good at a community level, but we actually need a national body who can be our voice nationally. And so together they helped to create the Canadian Association of Food Banks, which is, which then became about 15 years ago, Food Banks Canada. Okay. So we really were founded out of the community food movement and food banks really um, did it because they wanted to have kind of a more formal structure where they could talk about national priorities, trends, they could talk about logistics and supply chain um, and really, and also started to have more dialogue around how big was this issue around food insecurity why was it happening? What were the underlying pieces that connected it? Um, and we've been doing Hunger Count, which is really a national research uh, examination that we do each year that specifically looks at the clients that come to food banks. So we, we're kind of tracking how many clients, you know, what's the background, what are the intersection points that might be impacting them that have made them have to come to use a food bank. And also just baseline demographics. So how young are they? Are, how old are they? Are they newcomers? Are they um, people of color? Are they people with disabilities? Are they seniors? So wanting to just have a more robust understanding of who needed to use the supports of the food bank, why, 
and, and kind of how else could we support them? And then as time has gone on, again, Food Banks Canada's role has really evolved. So we now, like our, our role and function in the last 15 years is to play a national leadership role. I was going to say it's right behind me. Um, to play a national leadership role on behalf of the food banking system in this country. Um, we do that by relieving hunger today and look at addressing preventing hunger tomorrow. So ultimately, half of our mission is about the emergency support we do, and the other half of our mission is about working to create systems change that actually reduces the need to use food banks at all. Mm. We don't want to be in business, yeah. But, yeah. We, but we also don't want anybody starving while we figure out all the solutions that need to get put in place. And if poverty wasn't a big, wicked problem, we would have solved it already. So to create economic stability for people and economic independence, financial independence, you need a whole lot of other things in the economy to help set that up, whether that's things like stable employment or secure and, and affordable housing, access to childcare, education opportunities, et cetera. And so because those are very complex systems issues, we, we will absolutely say, let's help people today, but we'll continue you know, working away at those policy areas. Yeah. And it, it's complicated. Uh, absolutely. Um, you know, it's, there's not one answer because there's, like you say, there's so many different areas. Um, and, and it's probably, you mentioned there sort of the demographic or who's using the service of the food banks, but I imagine that changes, um, you know, I, I, you know, I'm just, as an outsider looking in, I'm thinking, you know, obviously income plays a, a big role in that. Um, but then we're the single biggest role. In yeah. Okay. Like it's, yeah, it's the single biggest issue, right? People use a food bank because they do not have the income sufficiency to be able to cover all their costs. If they had income sufficiency, that wouldn't be an issue for people because um, they could afford their rent and, and pay for their car and their gas and their childcare. And, and they would be earning enough money that would allow them to do all of those things and also buy the food that they want when they need it. The issue is people right now, I mean, if you add in the pandemic, that's a whole other layer of, of challenge. But even before, you know, we were seeing 1.1 million visits every single month come to a food bank. That should be shocking to people in Canada. We consider ourselves a, you know, we use this horrible language. We're a developed nation, right? We're an evolved economy. But we have one, you know, we have almost 10% of our population that is dealing with some level of food insecurity. So about 4.4 million people and 1.1 of those people visit a food bank every single month. Mm. So, I mean, that's a lot of people who need additional support. And, and again, it is complicated, but I think some other points that are really important is that, you know, food banks see a turnover monthly of almost 50% of the people. So 50% of the people might be stable people who have to come for a few months in a row, but the other 50% walk through the door the very first time. Interesting. Very interesting. Well, and you mentioned the pandemic. I mean, that's changed everything, I'm sure, over the last, you know, year and a bit now. Um, you know, people yeah. of, of all, you know, shapes, sizes, colors, backgrounds, it doesn't matter. Um, everybody's become vulnerable through this pandemic in different ways. Absolutely. I mean, if you just, I mean, again, I can pull out and just look at this from an economic lens. I mean, different economies by region have been were impacted prior to COVID, you add COVID on top, you have decimating impact on industries, whether it's things like tourism, oil and gas, uh, farming, like 
uh, tourism, uh, food service, like there's just massive and far reaching impact from an economic lens. So if there's, if sectors have been decimated, then absolutely you have workforces that have seen tremendous challenge. I mean, I, um, just looking across the, the kind of restaurant and food service community, I mean, there's, I mean, in talking to a lot of the restaurant industry associations, they're saying, it, you know, it could be 25 to 30% of restaurants that will not return after the pandemic, like they won't survive. So again, you have to then start to think about all of the impacts that that has, whether that's on food production, on manufacturing, on growing, on staffing, alcohol, it's, it's a profound impact. So um, a lot of those people, that work is quite precarious, right? It's like, if your restaurant's not busy, you're not working. You're not making any money. So, so you have, you have people and tourism, same thing. Like you have just industries that have been so radically impacted. So people that look just like you and me that never would have imagined ever having to use a food bank have now been put in a very vulnerable position where maybe they've depleted their savings. They've maxed out their, their credit. Um, you know, they've tried to hold on as long as they could. Um, and they still aren't in a position to be able to make ends meet. And so I think that's why, you know, we've seen in over 50% of the food banks across the country, a significant increase in new clients. Some are, you know, five and 10%, but like, for example, in Toronto, the Daily Bread Food Bank in Toronto, they've seen an increase of almost 200% in the numbers of new clients. So those large urban cities and or communities that have over 100,000 people in them, that's where you're seeing an impact. So what, you know, you have a few, just a few handfuls of big cities um, in Alberta, and that's a big deal. Those are, again, economies that are not recovering in the blink of an eye. People who are, who are trying to think about how they're gonna long range survive through the pandemic and through the recovery, um, and so the food banks have really had to ramp up and scale to be able to provide kind of stability and support. And so how, let's step back a little bit. How do the food banks wrap, ramp up and scale? I mean, how do you do that? Well, it's a great question because one of the things you have to, you have to ask about that is, so if the pandemic has impacted a lot of people, I, I use this joke a lot, which is that um, we had an 80% drop in the number of volunteers that were supporting food banks. Oh. And when we talk about volunteers, those volunteers have my color of hair. So, you know, gray hair, white hair, but they're about 25 years older than me. So if you, you imagine that, you know, older generation folks who are community leaders, who've given back their time over the course of their life and have deep pleasure and faith in doing that, they needed to stay home for their own safety and well-being. And so literally overnight, we saw the workforce or the engine and the heart of the community food bank be decimated, like just vanished. Um, and that had a massive impact for food banks. So just to give you an example, our friends at the Calgary Food Bank who, who are brilliantly innovative, um, they actually shut down the food bank for three days because they retooled their entire warehouse so that they could keep the staff and volunteers that were there safe and they could create the, the safest environment possible for any client that was going to come through their space. So they literally re, you know, redid all the, the markings on the floor, created more space between things so that people could be kept safe and their operations could continue because they knew the community needed them to keep their doors open. Um, Edmonton's Food Bank, who's always been a leader in this space, um, you know, they 
they saw profoundly larger numbers. They ended up doing uh, mobile clinics. They ended up doing, they built even more partnerships into the community and they, they increased the delivery mechanism. So it, in effect, helping get more food directly to people where they lived so that they could reduce the exposure for people. So, so what food banks did were um, think about their operations. They looked to say, what can we change? What can we streamline? How can we be more agile? Um, again, I'm, I have to be a bit silver lining focused because I, I have to be optimistic. That's part of my, what my, jo- my job is. But thankfully when COVID started, it was the spring. We had time. Food banks could actually move out into their parking lots, onto their grass. They could create drive-throughs. They could create home delivery programs. They could create outdoor markets. So they could open up the space and create more safety and reduce the risk for everybody. So food banks um, just were, were like scrappy about how they how they innovated and they worked with their community partners differently. So I'll give you two other really smart examples. Um, in Nova Scotia, they worked with two one one, which is like their emergency not nine one one, but two one one is like the call for community helpline. They built a partnership, and the community helpline became their intake service for anybody who needed food in the province. And then they developed a home delivery partnership with the Canadian Red Cross. So the food bank focused on the food. The intake came through Canadian Red Cross, delivered it to every single Nova Scotian in need. That's fabulous. So it's a great example. In Toronto, the Daily Bread Food Bank, again, same issue. They had about 30% of their agencies shut down. So what did they do? They built a partnership with the Toronto Public Library Services. And every library became a food hub in the, in, in the city of Toronto, which meant that people didn't have to travel on the bus using public transit in a really hyper and dense space. They could just go to their community library, which in most cases is, you know, within a 10 minute walk for most people. So again, just being open to thinking differently around how we could solve problems, how we could help people better and how we could keep them safe. Thankfully, as we, you know, we, we, we had that almost preparation time through the summer and fall that we could then address how we were providing service and support through the winter. Mm-hmm. And the winter is harder, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but almost 70% of food banks were doing home delivery, which just meant we could just do work differently. So just, those are just to give you a bit of a flavor, but, but food banks are deeply, deeply collaborative. They work with other agencies in the community and I think um, what we saw was just deep courage and, and openness and willingness to just say, how do we do this better, smarter, with, with better resources using the strength that everybody has? So just tremendous partnership. Yeah, I love that. That's, um, you know, it's kind of that Canadian spirit. Um, and, and it's, you know, we've got, like I said, we mentioned the pandemic and, and we've got some tough times, like, you know, ahead with with the economy and getting everybody back and and what it's going to look like so you know with the work that we do at ag for life it's around agriculture and food literacy and food insecurity is a big component uh and so taking the time to to visit with you today to to hear about uh some of the transitions and uh that you know that the food banks have made across the country um you know hats off to the teams because you know where the Canadians are in need. Uh, Canadians need to help each other. Uh, you know, very good point about losing all of your volunteers because they are that, you know, that high risk, vulnerable population and, and making that work. Um, 
and so I, yeah there's there's so much more we could talk about um <laughs> because it it's a, it is a big issue and I, and I think that um you know it would be interesting to to learn a little bit more uh, about some of the, the policy and the recommendations that the food bank is putting forward. So we can at one point put you out of business. Um, but, <laughs> you know, that that's a whole other series, I'm sure. Um, one of the conversations we've been having in Alberta with the food banks is a new program that they've launched called Food Bank Fresh. And that's actually really intriguing for us because it, it, it's, it's getting to the heart of, of our agriculture and our producers. And we are going to have a follow-up podcast with the Alberta Food Banks to talk a little bit more about the program. But can you give us a little peek? Do you know about the, the Food Bank Fresh program that Alberta is piloting? Absolutely. So that's actually a partnership that was developed with Food Banks Canada, uh, the Alberta Food Banks, the Calgary Food Bank, and Edmonton's Food Bank. So it was a four-way partnership that was established um, that um, we actually jointly, we, well, Food Banks Canada hired a staff person, but that's situated in Alberta. Okay. And that person works collaboratively with Edmonton's Food Bank, Calgary Food Bank, and Food Banks Alberta to identify specific commodity groups that we wanted to scale and grow partnerships with. So one of our big goals organizationally, right now we're probably providing close to 50% of the food that all food banks provide is fresh, mm -hmm. but we want to increase that. So we wanted to increase and get more nutritional, nutritionally dense foods available for people, more culturally relevant foods, and just make sure that um, the hampers that are being provided provide a full spectrum of options for clients. So, um, so this partnership was established between us so that we could learn, grow and scale kind of producer and agricultural relationships. So we identified a, a number of commodities, things, and this won't be surprising, things like potatoes, carrots, onions, peppers, squash, um, really good solid vegetables that are great, great nutritionally, easy to store, easy to share, doesn't bruise easy, like so again, it's an ability, it's ability, an ability for us to work with the agricultural community because um, there is often surplus product. Mm -hmm. There's often product that's, you know, we we all know that the carrots with two legs, the potatoes that are shaped like hearts, or you know, those maybe aren't the things that you're gonna put in the grocery store, but they're delicious, amazing, highly nutritious products. And so we this is really an opportunity to say, okay, where and how can we look to create partnerships that we can access those products that might not go into a premium market? That's one. Two is, are there additional kinds of partnerships that we could be thinking of? So are, you know, food banks do purchase an awful lot of food, which again is something not everybody knows. This past year, as a collective system, we purchased well over $100 million of food coast to coast. And so we're not a small client, um, but we're also investing those products very strategically. So we're typically buying fresh fruits and vegetables, protein, uh, dairy goods, um, and in some cases, grains, rice, things of that nature as well. And so, again, this was this program is really designed to say, how can we grow relationships with, you know, beef producers, uh, dairy producers, egg producers, and then produce. So really strategic um, uh, again, focus on building those products that we know will add real value um, to a family hamper and are expensive for families to buy. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. And, and 
Uh, I know I'm excited. I heard about the program and, and I thought, what? That's just fabulous. It's, it, it's wonderful. And as I say, we're going to be doing a follow-up with, with the groups from Alberta to learn a little bit more about it and, and how producers and commodity groups can get involved. But um, we, we do thank you, Tanya, for taking the time to, to visit with us today and, and you know, to raise awareness of, of food insecurity and, and keep it top of mind that you know, there are a lot of uh, Canadians, not just now, but, uh, you know, always and always until we put you out of business um, that, you know, need that high quality food. And, um, you know, if you can, uh, if you can afford to give, make sure that you do. So uh, we thank you so much for taking the time. And thank you for giving us the opportunity to share a little bit more. And we absolutely look forward to working with the community to see what we can do to grow more good things. Wonderful.